We on? No? Is it coming through? It is? Okay. And I'm still having some kind of issue with uh, this, this amp here, but I think I'm loud enough, right? <laughs> um, we're starting a new series today. And it's, it won't be a long series. It'll take us through at least through Easter and maybe one more week. I haven't decided whether we're going to have four or five. It's called To the Cross. And I'd like to spend multiple weeks in this text. It's a very deep text. It's a profound and remarkable text. And, um, and today I want to talk about something that's actually pretty hard. And that is the subject of suffering. The subject of suffering. How does the cross... And we typically think of the cross as something that Jesus bore. But in this passage today, Jesus said something odd. That if you are to follow him, you are to pick up your cross. That there's a cross for me. There's a cross for you. And we're to pick it up daily. And there is a suffering. In all of our lives, in some way or another. And which is not just simply incidental. Or something that we just feel like, oh, just, just, can we just get past this? But actually, it was intended. A suffering in your life which was intended. And I would like to talk about how we are to face that and how we are to wrestle with that as we go toward Easter. And uh, so in this message today that I've entitled The Cross and Our Suffering, in three parts as I usually do, part one, the fallen world and my suffering. I'm going to talk somewhat about suffering in general. But even though I talk about suffering in general, when I talk about these categories of suffering in general, I want you to think about your specific instance of how this type of suffering may be touching into your life. Maybe directly into your life, or maybe someone very near in your life. The fallen world and suffering. Part two, um, losing our life. <laughs> Jesus says something very mysterious. If you will save your life, first you have to lose it. I want to talk about losing. And then part three, I'll talk about the good part. What does it mean to save? The saving of our life. All right. The saving of our life. Um, let me get into this message here. Uh, part one, um, the fallen world and um, our suffering. This, this, this message and this text that I'm going to spend a, a few weeks on, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the, there's four books that talk about the ministry of Jesus. They're, and then they're typically called the Gospels. I know it can be a little confusing when we talk about the Gospel, which is a central message of Christianity, but the four books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. But in these four books, there's a kind of pattern that happens. In the early portion of Jesus' ministry, he does all this really cool stuff. He preaches messages. He has mercy on the poor. He does miraculous signs and, and miracles. And then, and so, there's all these people that begin to flock to him. And it seems there's something really good about him. But I want you to understand something. When we start to get to this portion of the gospel, when Jesus says to his disciples, I, the Son of Man, must suffer. <laughs> the way he puts this, must suffer many things. All the important people in our culture, in our time, that tell us what our life and the meaning of our life is about, they're going to reject me. And they're going to kill me. That's what he's saying. 
And then from about this point on, in his ministry, you know what starts to happen? First, he's a rock star. If you are following, if you're Peter, James, John, one of these guys, you, know, you think he's the Messiah. And so, I don't know if there's any kind of analogy that we have in our, in our culture. That would be something like hitching your wagon to Jeb Bush. I mean, he, he was vying for the presidency. I mean, he could become our next president, by the way. <laughs> right? It's very, very real that Jeb Bush could become our next president. So if you work for that guy, you're right there with that guy, you could become rich, you could become powerful, you could be in the White House. I mean, very real possibility. And so up to this point, and you, you're watching this happen. You're watching the masses come to Jesus. You see him do crazy things. You see him preach this message, and you see the smartest people in the culture come up to him. They challenge him. He debates with them. He has utterly no fear, and he can just take them straight on. You see him do things, you see dead people arise, blind people come to sight, you see lepers just healed, I mean, crazy stuff. And so you think, this guy is the guy, oh my gosh, this is it. And then he says, by the way, not, oh, just a by the way, I want you to get this, I must suffer. <laughs> this is not a welcome message to these people who are following. And then as the, as the Gospels and the ministry proceeds, you know what starts to happen? People, bit by bit, start to fall away from Jesus. They begin to run away from Jesus. Now, as a pastor, um, I, I like to think about this as, in the Gospel, there's a kind of, like, nice part of it, <laughs> but there's also a part of the Gospel that's a tough part of it, that actually a lot of us would perceive to be bad. It's like, oh, gosh, that seems like the spinach part of it. It's actually much worse than spinach. But if, you, if, if a preacher only tells you the nice stuff, you're saved by grace, forgiven of your sins, you get to go to heaven, God will always be with you. I mean, of course we want that. And in our church, we give you a steady diet of that message. That's the gospel, of course. But if you really want to get into the gospel, you must get into the cross. And if you're going to get into the cross, you're not only talking about the cross of Jesus, you must get into the cross that you and I are called to bear every day. You may not like this stuff. Now, I want to say something about um, suffering now. Jesus said he came to suffer. He must suffer. You know what today's message is saying? If you're going to follow him and pick up a cross, you know what he's saying? If you're going to be like me and follow me, I have a cross, you do too. If you're going to be like me, you must suffer too. That's what he's saying. I mean, it's just as blunt as I can make it. The central portion of the meaning of your life, there'll be something related to suffering. That's what we're talking about today. Now let me just back up a little bit. Um, let me tell you something that if you grew up in the church, you know as a piece of doctrine. Okay, you just know this. But every day when you wake up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you, you, you try and you're, you're, you're trying to deny this. <laughs> all, all the non-Christian people I know, they, they don't really believe this, and they're trying to deny this, especially in America. But we Christians, we do too. We know the doctrine, 
But every single day, we, we, we're kind of in denial about this. We're in denial and avoidance of this reality. And that is, actually, life is not supposed to turn out good. Did you know that? That's why it always ends in death. <laughs> it always ends bad. <laughs> Isn't that strange? And only Christians could really say that when we get to death, that still somehow that's a good day. I mean, I, I recently went to a funeral, um, and while I was hugging one of the youth group members, because it was her grandmother who passed away, and while we watched her be laid into the ground, and her mother was a, was a godly Christian, I could say to her, today's a good day. Today's a really good day. But actually, that's, it doesn't feel always that great. Life is not supposed to turn out good. And theologians have a term for this. It's that the world is fallen. And, I, and you may hear me say this. The world's fallen. The world's fallen. And you're like, okay, so you, you hear this, and it's just like, bloop, one ear out the other. But really, I don't, I don't mean to get too morbid about this. Um, it's really fallen. <laughs> it's really messed up. I know we live in San Jose, and the, war, and the weather is perfect. If you lived in Philadelphia, when I lived in Philadelphia, this season of the year when we started going to the cross seemed more appropriate because the weather was terrible. <laughs> Every day you wake up and you're like, oh, bad weather again. It seems good to be thinking about the cross. But in San Jose, it's like, it's like you're kind of in delusion land. 80-something degrees at the beginning of, in, in, early in March. How can we be talking about something as terrible as the cross? But actually, the world and life, even in San Jose, rich San Jose, it's fallen. It's not, it doesn't, doesn't turn out good. Just here, just some examples, okay? Moms and dads are sinners. Let me just ask you this question. So I'm not talking about the general mom and dad. Let me just ask you to think about your mom and dad. Do you dislike one of them? Maybe you just like both of them. Do you have a deep problem with one of them or both of them? Do you? I won't ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> In this room, if you were to be honest, you have a daddy issue or a mommy issue or a daddy and a mommy issue? I bet you a good number of hands would go up if I asked you to do that. Some of you even come from pretty good families. I come from what I think is a, a B plus slash A minus family. If I were to grade myself, and I'm a pastor, I, I, I talk to a lot of people with their families, I would give my family a B plus slash A minus grade. You know, you know, we're talking about the culture here now, right? B plus, A minus family. And I'll tell you, in this family, there are, I won't say daddy, there's some daddy issues. Okay, I mean, I love my dad. He's, he's actually a really good dad. There are issues. You probably have, some of you have much bad, deeper issues. In every family, there's at least one person, sometimes more than one, and often, sometimes all of them, who's deeply hurting. Not a little bit. A lot. Who is strongly messed up. Sometimes they don't think they're messed up. They're like the most selfish person in the family, like soaking up the resources of everybody else. <laughs> they drive everybody else crazy, but they're totally oblivious. 
So they're causing all this suffering, but they're not suffering. Well, I'm good, but you know, everybody else suffers. Sometimes it's like that. But sometimes, you know, almost in every family, there's at least one person that's a mess or causing a mess, right? Mom, dad, you, your brother, sister, son, daughter. Okay, that's just, that's plenty of opportunity right there for one of them to be a big mess. And if one of them is a big mess, then guess what? They spill over. It spills over on everybody else. Hmm? How, about, how about this? So I'm just thinking, just think about your life now. I want you to be thinking about your life. Not, I'm not talking about the world. We're talking about you. The fallenness that's spilling into your life. I'll give me another one. Um, disease, disability, death are totally normal. Right? This is a relatively small congregation. I've been the pastor here for six years. There has not been one year that I have not gone to a funeral. There has not been one year someone has not been seriously sick, if not directly, somebody in your life has not been touched by serious disease. Or somebody in your life is touched by significant disability. This is a relatively small congregation. In one of the, the richest, sunniest, we have all the accoutrements of wealth, modern science, modern technology, knowledge. We have everything here. This is the pinnacle of civilization, guys. This really is. You are living here. This is the top lottery. You have the lottery ticket of history to live here. Death, disability, disease. It's not been conquered. The hurt is here. Um, uh, economic failure. Okay, I won't even just talk about um, depressions or you know, or recessions. We just came out of a recession. Some people still debate that we're, whether we're still in one or not. I mean, I don't think anyone could de um, debate that things are better in 2015 than they were in 2008, right? right. I mean, you could feel it. The, the traffic is worse. <laughs> a lot more people are, are, the restaurants are more crowded. We just feel this stuff. The, 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 the house values are going up. But guess what? Have we solved the economic downturn? No. Nope. <laughs> is it going to happen again? Yes. Probably very soon. When you don't even know it. When you can't expect it. How about this? Um, whole industries are going to fail. Do you know that? Some of you are going to prepare your education for something that looks like a really promising industry. I'm not even talking about your company. I'm talking about your industry. <laughs> and in the next 20 years, um, all the people that do what you do, are just gonna be, they're going to be in India and China. <laughs> And your industry in America is, is gone. Your whole industry. What's that going to do to you, to your marriage, your family life, to your mortgage, to your relationship to your mom, dad? That's what I think about when I'm a pastor and I hear news about economics. I think about divorce. That's what I start thinking about. Do you know that if... 
when a couple out here, if, if there is a, an economic downturn in our area, divorce will spike. And it's going to happen right here, t touching into our life. And then there's going to be a 12-year-old son of somebody who's divorced. And he'll be depressed when he's 25 and 35 and 45 for a recession that happened when he was 12. That's what I'm thinking about. Normal. Totally normal. Completely. Happens all the time. Is it happening in your life? Is it happening in your life? You know somebody? Um, just one more. Powerful people. If you meet them and have lunch with them, they're very nice people. But really, their eyes are just fixated upon their own self-interest. And they even have good intentions. <laughs> they even have really good intentions. But what they do produces a lot of destruction. Sometimes it's two or three points removed from you. So, okay, I won't even get into politics. Forget politics. Um, a brother, I won't name him, in, in this church told me recently that a large portion of the division of his company that he works for was laid off. Um, his company is about to do, and he said, I don't even get this. I don't get corporate. He said this to me in an email. I don't get corporate, Amer um, um, I don't get corporate world. He said, our product has been very successful, and we're about to sign a billion-dollar deal. We have never, our stock has never been better. <laughs> We've never been more profitable. So I don't understand why 70% of our guys are being laid off. And after I read that email, I said, oh, I, said, I know what's going on. <laughs> this is a multinational firm. I know what's going on. The big guys up on top said, we have these really brilliant scientists that came up with this product. This product is now going to make us <laughs> literally a billion dollars. But now that they're done giving us this product, we will save money if we stop paying them because since they're brilliant PhD guys, you know, they cost, you know, they live here in San Jose, they, they cost more than 100 grand a pop. So let's save the money and cut them. <laughs> and then... Um, when my next package comes around, the stock will shoot up, and then instead of me making $10 million, I'll make $20 million. That's what's happened. That's exactly what's happened. And then all their buddies in the board, so they c come off with huge amounts of money, but the regular rank and file, some of them who make 100, 200 grand a year, who are brilliant people, they make brilliant things that bless our lives. Now, some of them in the next few months will be on the verge of divorce. And some of their kids will be friends with your kids. And they'll be depressed and angry. You don't know it, but it's going to happen because these powerful people in this multinational firm decided to make this decision to lop off all these folks. And guess what? In this valley, it's completely normal. It happens all the time. It's all the time. Just, just destruction. Just destruction just happens. Is it happening? Being touched upon in your life? Bet you it is, isn't it? Um, 
We, we read chapter 11 of this book this week, um, Ordering Your Private World by Gordon MacDonald. And the title of this chapter is No Outer Props. And at the beginning of this chapter, uh, Gordon MacDonald talks about a guy named E. Stanley Jones. And E. Stanley Jones was a missionary to India. So he was a missionary to India a, a while ago when it was a lot poorer than it is now. So I imagine pretty much he lived the larger portion of his life in poverty to love a people who were poor. So he lived a kind of suffering and poverty-filled life. And then as he grew older, he's a Methodist missionary. When he grew aged, he, got a very de- he was hit with a very debilitating stroke. And this stroke, according to, according to this book, left him immobile, and virtually speechless. How would, that, how would you like to have a stroke that does that to you? You can't really move, and you can't really talk. Not only would that be horrible physically, you can't brush your teeth, you can't do all this normal stuff you do, and then now you have to depend on somebody else to do this for you, but just the quality of relationships, your friendships, it would just it would completely eat away, and it would, it would take away your friendships, because you can't even talk. And yet, this was E. Stanley Jones' response. He says, according to, um, according to Gordon McDonald, he goes, it may have left him immobile and speechless, but apparently it did not leave him faithless. He said, I need no outer props to hold up my faith, for my faith holds me up. That's what he put it. Here's a man. Stripped away in tremendous suffering. And yet, inside he's strong. And then this guy contrasts it. He's a Methodist missionary. I don't know if you know this, but um, Methodists have bishops. Catholics have bishops. Episcopalians have bishops. But Methodists also have bishops. And if you're a bishop, you're a powerful man inside the church. You, just, you can order people around. They pretty much have to do what you tell them to do. I don't have that kind of power in this church. Okay? But a Methodist bishop can do this. And he knew a bishop. You know, he finished his career, and then he retired. After he retired, he started to get really unhappy and twisted up inside of himself. And he came up to Stanley Jones, and he said, Hey, how do you do it? What's your secret of a victorious life? And Stanley Jones, looking at him, Can you imagine this? Here's a guy who has served his life in a a really poor and developing country. Now he has a stroke, can't move or talk. He's talking to another guy who had a nice, comfortable career. He's perfectly healthy. He's retired. But he is really unhappy. And Stanley Jones said this guy had a case of what he called limelightitis. Why was he unhappy? Because when you're the bishop, people obey you. You're in the limelight. People look at you and you're like, oh, you're important. But now that he's retired, that had been taken away from him. So it's strange, in this sense, that was his suffering. What was the prop that held up his life? The limelight. Now that the limelight was gone, now he was hurting. That was his suffering. And you know what? That piece of suffering, he could not take. He could not take. 
Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer. He must suffer. He came specifically to suffer. Do you understand that if you read the Gospels and if you focus on Jesus as a great preacher or Jesus healed a whole bunch of people, you're actually not really understanding the, the central importance of Jesus' life. You're, really not, you're just, just not even getting Jesus at all. If you're going to get Jesus, actually, you must understand this. He came, he must suffer. That's a central aspect of his life. And let me tell you this. He came this way because in order to really redeem a people, he came to suffer. And if you are going to walk here in this world and know God, there has to be suffering in your life. You and I, not just there kind of will be suffering, actually, we must suffer too. To enter into this world, to be a part of this world and know God. How are you handling that? Let me talk about part two. Losing our life. Losing our life. Here's what Jesus says. Um, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I, I... in the Gospel of Mark, it doesn't use that word daily. In the Gospel of Matthew, it doesn't say daily. In the Gospel of Luke, it says, Let's take up your cross daily. That means whatever your suffering is, it may be continuous. You may have it day in and day out for a while. Maybe even throughout your life. But then this next verse. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Whoever would save his life will lose it. And that's weird. Do you ever wonder what that means? Um, I have pondered this verse ever since I first read it. And I first read it when I was a teenager. It keeps coming back to me. It keeps coming back to me. It keeps coming back to me. Um, I don't dare think that I know fully everything it means, but I think I know something of what it means. I want to share that with you. It has something to do with this. In your life, everybody, you, you have some conception of what is a good life, right? You have some picture of what would be a really good life. You do, don't you? All the things that will be the case if your life is going to be really good. And and by the way, uh, I want to say this to those of you who are younger the younger you are, the bigger that tends to be, at least in America, <laughs> okay? And as we grow older, we start to kind of give up of you think, yeah, I have to give that part up. I thought I was going to be really rich. Okay, I guess that's not going to happen, right? Um, I thought I was going to have a really hot wife. I just got a, a decently good enough looking wife or husband, okay? <laughs> I thought my husband would have a full set of hair, and I guess not, okay? You know, we start to give these things up, okay? Um, but... You know, especially in America, just, just by the way, even if you live in America, I want you to understand that not the whole world thinks this way. The good life is having all this. I mean, the great career. I mean, okay, you know, actually, in most places in the world, they don't think like that. In mo- and there are places in the world, the good life is this. Um, I wish I had a mom who loved me. Um, 
some places in the world, the good life is this. I wish we had food. Enough food. It's that. Some places, the good place is, I, I, I wish we could live without those people over there, without the fear of those people over there coming over and, and killing some of us. That's, that's the good life. But I want you to just think about this, your good life. And whatever that is, what your good life is, the really, really good life, okay, you know, this is San Jose, it probably has something to do with, I mean, you're super blessed to even be able to have a chance, even to have a chance to even realistically think to have the good life means something like long health, meet someone that you can fall in love with, have a nice house, hopefully have healthy kids, have prosperity, money, all that, all that good stuff. Okay? Um, but let me just say this to you. If the central good life that you're always longing for if you can have that without God, without God, your life isn't good enough. I'm just telling you that. That's not a good enough life. And let me say this to you this way. If you can have this life, now whenever we have this life, and then there's some form of suffering. So like, let's, say there's, so let's, not, let's take the, uh, a suffering that's maybe not the worst kind. It, it's bad, but it's not the worst kind. Let's just call it, so you'd say your, your suffering comes from finances. You don't have enough money. Maybe it produces stress in your life. I know that's true for some of you. It has been in my life. So I, I can relate. So this isn't the worst suffering in the world, but it's, it's not easy. It hurts. And if, if your life is just, okay, if I just, I just don't have the suffering... And so your, your good life is always imagined there's no suffering in it. Let me tell you something. Your life is still not good enough. It's still not good enough. And you know what? Most of us, when we picture and imagine the life that we want and the life that we chase, if God is in it, he's, he's a bit player. <laughs> he, he may be relevant whether he's in it or not. The relevance is like, I hope he helps me get my good life. <laughs> but, okay, you're like, okay, I'm a Christian. Come on, pastor, I, I, want, I want God to be in it. Yes, you do. Okay, great. All right. But is there any suffering in it? Do you have any suffering in it? Do you have any suffering in your good life? Probably not, right? Your life is not good enough. That's what this passage is saying. Your life is not good enough. You were meant to have suffering in your life. Partly because we're just born into a fallen world. But actually, you were meant to have suffering in your life if you were meant to know God. Because God is not in, he's not in some cruise ship where he has like the, the Mai Tais <laughs> and, and like everything is completely pristine. <laughs> you know? God doesn't only exist on a tropical island where, where, there's, you know, where there's no health and disease and death and everybody's rich and you know, the weather and, and, the, and, the, uh, and, the, and the water is pristine and perfect. That's not the way God is. You know where God is? He came here. And to be here, he said, I'll be with you where there's hurt. And if we're going to be with God, there'll be suffering. 
and when he calls us to him. Part and parcel in the center of your life, not ancillary. In the meaning of our life, we're suffering. All oh, this thing, we'll just get past it. Or wouldn't it be really great when, you know, the financial part, we'll just I'll fix that. And then, and then we'll have the good life. Actually, in the picture of the good life that God really has intended for you, he really has intended this for you, is just like Jesus, the Son of Man, Susang Park must suffer in the center of his life. That will be the good life. Wow. <laughs> You're hearing me? In the center of your life, there'll be suffering. Okay, one more point. You know why that has to be this way? It has to be this way. It has to be this way. What will make your life really, really good? Okay, you know this. You know this in your head. In your heart, you're in like kind of an avoidance of this. You know what it is? Love. And you know how you'll know when you have real love? Okay. We think we have love when everything is all good. You know, like, oh, I love you, you love you, you're hot, I'm hot. We fell in love with each other. That's what the songs say. Turn on the radio. Oh, baby, baby, I love you. Okay, that's what the songs say. That's what the movies say. That's what the, mo- that's what the TV shows say. But that's not true. That's, that's just crap. <laughs> it's such bull. bull. I, I, I want to say that word. You know what I want to, you know the word I want to say. <laughs> What's really true you know you have real love when a person will come and join you when it hurts. It hurts for them. They'll join you when you hurt. That's when you know there's real love in your life. That place is the good life. That is why God came. And so God came into this life and most of us are saying, God, you're the omnipotent one. Omnipotent. Okay, good, cool. That's the person I want to know. I want an omnipotent guy in my life. Can, 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 you, can you, like, do this and then, like, uh, fix, fix a disease? Thanks. That'd be great. Can you do this? Boom, boom. Just, and then, and then, and then, good, good job. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> that isn't why he came. He came and said, even though they'll be suffering, I will love you in it. I will love you in it. And you'll know that when you have that kind of love, that's the good life. (laughs) That's what you're going to find out. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to call those who know me into that kind of life. So the real acid test of whether you have love demands suffering. Actually, it really does. Real love, divine love, the thing that makes heaven heaven, the thing that will last forever and forever and forever, the thing that was around, divine love was around before there was creation. This thing which makes life really life. All we're trying to do is, the thing that we think is a good life is, we live in a sewer. <laughs> and then what we do is we pull out, we pull out uh, um, um, a perfume and go, 
If I can just go around me and then kind of be in avoidance of the sewer, it's like, oh, it smells okay. I smell okay. <laughs> there is just, you know what, all over inside of you, on you, in you, outside of you, all around. But we go, spread the perfume around and it goes, oh, now this is the good life. That's not the good life. But actually, you know what happens? When God comes in, into the suffering, and then he can have something like mercy and grace and steadfastness and love and joy and peace and forgiveness. Now we're talking about the heavenly life. See? That's like, that's coming in and the sewer is being pushed away into something beautiful. Real love. So as long as your life is this, you know, punching the, 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 the perfume or in the sewer, and this is your good life, you're just still dying. And if you want to save your life, you know what? This conception of your good life, it has to go. You have to lose it. Just get rid of it. I'm actually inviting you to say, okay, there's some central piece of suffering going on in my life. Oh my gosh. You mean God intended this to me in my life? Yes. He intended me to embrace this and pick this up and face it. Not just avoid it. Not just get rid of it, but actually go right into it and pick up this cross. That's what I'm telling you. And in this journey, you will get the life he really wanted for you. Not just by railing against it, not just by just getting rid of the suffering, but actually going right into it, into the center of the meaning of your life. Yes, that's what I'm telling you. And this idea, as long as you've got this crazy distraction of the good life, apart from this central suffering and of God and of the cross, if that's the only good life you got, then you're going to die. <laughs> but if you will lose that, now your life can be saved. Hmm. Let me go to the final portion of my message. How is your life be saved? Um, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Let me close my message with this. Um, Paul says it slightly differently. He talks about this life that we have in the flesh. That means no God, no Holy Spirit. It's just meat and all that we only have. That's it. And then within that, there's a good life. That life must die on the cross with Christ. And then you'll get a new life from him. Here's how he puts it. This is from Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if we have been united with Jesus, Jesus Christ, if we have been united with Jesus Christ in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
we know that our old self, that's this life in the sewer, with this good, good life conception, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, you know what the body of sin is? It's not just a body. What he calls the body of sin? Many of us think that sin is like discrete certain acts. So if, if, I'm, if I lie on my taxes, that's sin. Okay, well it is. Okay? If, if I look at certain websites that, I'm not, I, that I shouldn't be looking at, that's sin. If I'm jealous of that person for their money or for their looks, okay, I guess that's sin. That's not what Paul is. Actually, Paul is saying, your whole life is like a body of sin. <laughs> the whole life itself is sin. The whole thing is crapola. Your whole conception of life relative to suffering and of the good life is the, is the thing that's got to die. That's what he's saying. So that we would no longer, so that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that the good life, where it's just like this fantasy life, drained of all suffering, that would be the good life, God relatively irrelevant, the, the redemptive work of the cross irrelevant, that would be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then we can have his life. See? And let me tell you something. We're not even just talking about eternal life in heaven. I absolutely am looking forward to heaven. I'm so looking forward to heaven. Um, I'm looking forward to a place where I don't have to worry about how much money I have when I go to food. I can't wait to go to the best Chinese food in my neighborhood. And, and may, where the woman will make a dish that's literally like 300 you know, the recipe is 300 years old and it will be like super duper and that will cost me no money. <laughs> She'll make it from love. I mean, like, wow. But you know why? I'm not even talking about then, but I've already tasted heaven. I've already tasted resurrection. That's what we're talking about. This resurrection life doesn't start then after you die. It starts now after your body of sin the life of flesh, your perfect life with no suffering, when that dies, when that is gone, then a new life in Christ can start on the other side of the cross. And some of you have started that journey. Some of you have not. You may believe in Jesus, but some of you are like, well, I still kind of want to have this little, like, can you give me a little bit of, help, help, help me out, Jesus. <laughs> your Jesus is that Jesus, but not this Jesus. It's Jesus of the cross. And there are people here in this church I already know they have it. I love being with them. There are people in this church. They have cancer. When you, when you meet with them, they're joyful. You know what this is? One of the gentlemen in our church walked into my office this morning. He's dying of cancer. Hey, pastor. <laughs> he handed me a cup of Starbucks coffee before I was preaching. I almost started crying. You know what that is? He had joy. He had servanthood. He had love. You know what that is? Resurrection life. And it's only on the other side of the cross. When you're good life, you lose it. Then 
you can save your life on the other side while you're embracing the suffering that God intended in your world. When we do this, well, all kinds of people, they'll be wonderfully, wonderfully beautiful. I, I just cannot wait till everybody is like this. Everybody's like this. And in, in our church, it's, 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 I see shards of it, like, little, like flashes of it coming out. And it is so great. And when that's happening, Jesus is winning. The resurrection is breaking into this place. And so, brothers and sisters, not just apart from our suffering, in and through it, with the joy, the patience, the compassion, the mercy, that's the heavenly power of the resurrection. Let me invite you to go to the cross this way. And we do this, we'll become a really weird, really wonderful, powerful community where heaven is breaking into San Jose. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, I, I just want to pray first for my brothers and sisters who are clinging on to their fleshly, worldly, <laughs> sewer good life. All my friends and brothers and sisters, first we just have compassion on us. Lord, I, I go, even I go back and forth. I want to do this and then I don't want to do this. It's like today I'm so convicted to want to run to the resurrection on the other side of the cross you've asked me to bear. And then I get tired, and on Wednesday or Thursday, I'm like, I, I just want the good life. My life. My life, Jesus. Just have mercy and compassion on us, Lord. Show us and convict us. Open our eyes. Not apart from suffering, in and through it, to defeat it. To defeat it by the power of your life. I just also want to pray, Lord, for people who are hurting. There are brothers and sisters who are hurting in a hard way, Lord. Some are breaking. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them hope. I pray that some of us would walk with them and cry with them. And I'll pick them up. And you would love us and we would love each other with real, powerful, steadfast, divine, immortal love. Because that's what you intended, Lord. Nothing less. And I pray, Lord, that you do this in our church. This would be the central meal that we want to eat all the time. This kind of love. So that the suffering is like, it's not only it can't defeat us, we say, bring it on so we can know love more and more, so we can know Jesus more and more, so that we can become like Jesus more and more, so that heavenly resurrection can break, up, break into our hearts more and more. Bless us this way. We ask it. I, I almost demand it, Father, and I know I can because Jesus has won it for us and we praise you for him.
his name we pray.